Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Air Canada First Quarter 2021 conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Kathleen Murphy. Please go ahead, Ms. Murphy. Thank you, Mo. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on our first quarter call. With me this morning are Michael Russo, our President and Chief Executive Officer, Amit Kazaz, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Lucy Gilmet, our Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, and Craig Laundrie, our Executive Vice President of, Opera of Operations. On today's call, Michael will begin by providing an overview of the quarter and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and government-imposed travel restrictions and our positioning for recovery. Lucy will touch on travel demand, cargo, and loyalty, and Amos will provide you with additional details on our costs, liquidity, and financial performance before turning it back to Mike and then opening the call for questions from equity analysts followed by questions from fixed income analysts. Before we get started, please note that certain statements made on this call are forward-looking within the meaning of applicable securities laws. This call also includes references to non-GAAP measures. Refer, please refer to our first quarter press release and MD&A for important assumptions and cautionary statements relating to forward-looking information for reconciliations of non-GAAP measures to GAAP results. I will now turn it over to Mike. Great, thank you, Kathy, and good morning to everyone. Thank you for joining us on our first quarter call. It's a pleasure to speak to everyone today. Although this is my first call as President and Chief Executive Officer of Air Canada, I know all of you very, very well. Along with Amos and the entire management team, I look forward to continuing and further developing the transparent and positive relationship we have. Also, I look forward to our next investor day, hopefully before the end of 2021 when we can better showcase both the actions we've already taken and the plans we will be implementing to further strengthen our company and our brand. As all of you know, we have built a resilient airline with the goal of be being sustainably profitable over the long term. That resilience is enabling us to rebuild our company and serves as a foundation to realize our ambition to remain a leading global carrier and rise higher than ever in, our, in the post-pandemic world. All of us have witnessed the strength and evolution of our culture, which has been exceedingly tested and is carrying us through the crisis. Our employees have shown unbelievable resourcefulness, courage, and tenacity. I thank them for their professionalism and all the challenges they continue to brilliantly overcome. I assure them, the analyst community, as well as our investors and other stakeholders, that brighter skies are ahead of, for us in the near future. At present, however, as with all, air, all carriers in Canada, the pandemic continues to weigh heavily on Air Canada results. We reported first quarter negative EBITDA of $763 million compared to $71 million in the same quarter last year. For comparison, you may recall that last year COVID did not impact the entire quarter. The pandemic only had a minimal impact in February that became more pronounced in March before making itself fully felt in April of 2020. 
On a GAAP basis, we recorded an operating loss of $1.049 billion in the first quarter of 2021. In the quarter, net cash burn amounted to $1.274 billion, or approximately $14 million per day on average, lower than previously projected. Net cash burn progressively improved throughout the quarter, although moderately given the ongoing impact of the pandemic on travel demand, including advanced ticket sales. We had almost $6.6 billion in liquidity at the end of March. Subsequent to this, in April, we finalized a financial package with the Government of Canada, primarily comprised of fully repayable loans, which provides access to of up to $5.9 billion in additional liquidity if required. Beyond serving as a layer of insurance, the Government package also enabled us to better resolve customer refunds for non-refundable tickets. The refund process with customers is going very well, and we are doing regular outreach to ensure everyone has the necessary information to request a refund. For our customers, safety is our top priority. We were therefore very pleased with our COVID-19 Clean Care Plus biosafety program earned us at Apex's Diamond Status Certification. We were recognized for achieving hospital-grade levels of biosecurity across multiple passenger touchpoints. The certification program aims to create a global standard for health and safety measures focused on airline customers. Prioritizing saving extends to the wellness of our employees as well. We have launched a number of workplace testing and tracing initiatives. We partnered with the Barge ADMs, which is the Montreal Airport, and Byron Group Santé to open two vaccination clinics for our Quebec-based employees and their immediate family members near our Montreal headquarters. And most recently, we announced that we are partnering with the Ontario government and the region appeal to open a clinic facilitating vaccinations later this month for eligible employees and Peel region residents, including immediate family members. In a further sign of our ongoing commitment to employees, we were also named one of Montreal's top employers for the eighth time and one of Canada's best diversity employers for the sixth consecutive year. This shows that despite the severe disruption of, our, of the pandemic, we are maintaining our strong employee culture because a collaborative, diverse and inclusive culture is not only right, but it is also essential to our recovery and future success. We continue to pursue various revenue opportunities. Air Canada Cargo has now completed more than 7,500 all-cargo flights since March of last year, and over 2,000 this quarter alone. We are building our transformed aeroplan program, and Lucy will touch on both of these later on the call. We know, we know ESG is becoming a prime consideration and differentiator of companies. To advance sustainability, we are committing to a very ambitious climate action plan and aiming for a target of net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, which will also support Canada's leadership position on climate change. Key to our emission reductions plans is renewal of our narrow body fleet. To this end, we took delivery of four Airbus 220 aircraft in the first quarter. The A220 is highly fuel efficient, producing significantly less greenhouse gas emissions than the older aircraft it replaces. It is also extremely popular with customers, offering unmatched comfort for an aircraft of its size. Our investment in the A220 is also an example of our strategic approach going forward. We intend to remain diligent on costs, 
yet also plan to take smart risks and make strategic investments to position us for the opportunities we see ahead. In this way, we will build upon our numerous competitive advantages we already have, including a widely recognized and powerful brand, a strong safety culture, a renewed fleet, new, new core technologies, a growing cargo division, and a newly transformed aeroplan program, to name a few. With these and a renewed and enhanced focus on the customer experience, we are poised to emerge strongly from the pandemic and complete, compete successfully with the best in the world. With that, I'll turn it over to Lucy. Thank you, Mike, and good morning, everyone. To start, I would also like to acknowledge the dedication and resilience of our teams across the airline. We've been tested in ways never imagined, and our culture and commitment to our customers have been on display throughout the pandemic. Our people embody our core values and continue to represent the very best of Air Canada. Passenger demand in the first quarter was significantly impacted by the introduction of new layers of travel restrictions. These include requiring all incoming passengers to Canada to provide a negative COVID test prior to boarding and the implementation of mandatory testing upon arrival with an up to three-day hotel quarantine at the traveler's expense while they wait for their test result. These are in addition to the travel restrictions and quarantine measures that have been in place in Canada since the pandemic began. Coinciding with the announcement of this new set of restrictions in the quarter, we agreed to immediately suspend all flights to some destinations at the request of and to support the Government of Canada and its efforts to curb the spread of COVID-19. Combined effect of the additional travel restriction, the cancellation of sun flying, the resurgence of COVID cases in Canada and around the world, and the emergence of variants of the virus around the world resulted in an 88% decrease in first quarter passenger revenues compared to the first quarter of 2020. We operated 82% less capacity than the first quarter in 2020 and 84% less when compared to the first quarter of 2019. Looking to the second quarter, we plan to operate approximately twice the capacity we operated in the same quarter of 2020. This represents a decrease of 84% compared to the second quarter of 2019. As we've done since the onset of the pandemic, we will continue to dynamically adjust capacity as the situation evolves. Looking ahead, we are optimistic about the continued vaccine rollout in Canada and around the world. The guidance supporting vaccinated travel from health agencies, including the CDC and the European Medicines Agency, and the increased adoption and acceptance of vaccine passports. We're confident that the domestic market will lead our recovery and we have seen relative demand strength in Canada despite interprovincial restrictions and lockdown measures. Specifically, domestic transcontinental long-haul markets continue to show the greatest strength, followed by gains in key intro-west markets. Once a critical mass of Canadians is vaccinated and the number of COVID cases begin to flatten, which the government's modeling predicts could be this summer, we anticipate restrictions and lockdown measures will begin to be lifted. We expect this will result in an increase of domestic travel demand. We, of course, monitor demand trends very closely in other markets, and we believe Canada will observe similar travel patterns as those observed in the U.S. once restrictions are eased. Looking internationally, our transatlantic services have been our strongest performing markets outside of Canada, led predominantly by resilient visiting friends and family 
or VFR traffic, as well as U.S. traffic connecting to leisure destinations in Europe. We expect these segments to continue to show strength as the health situation improves globally, vaccinated travel becomes more widely accepted, and restrictions continue to ease. We continue to seize VFR market opportunities, leveraging strong community and cultural ties between certain countries in Canada. These include markets that we have traditionally served, such as France, the UAE, and Morocco, as well as new countries added to our network, such as Qatar and Egypt. Although these markets have been negatively impacted by the mandatory hotel quarantine in Canada, early indications are that demand remains resilient throughout the summer. Our new non-stop service from Toronto to Doha in partnership with Qatar Airways has allowed us to access additional VFR markets that we do not serve directly and which have a large Canadian community. Our new non-stop service to Cairo from Montreal launching in June will be supported by the gradual rebuild of our transporter network as we have seen strength in the U.S. traffic connecting to Egypt. Similar to our strategy with Doha, we will look to capture markets beyond Cairo through our co-chair partnership with Egypt Air. Our network diversity has been on full display over the course of the pandemic and through a concerted effort has been one of our competitive advantages. Our ability to tap into U.S. transit traffic illustrates this and will help accelerate our recovery in the short and medium term. In late April, we suspended our services to India following the Government of Canada's ban on flights from the country until at least May 23rd. We plan on resuming service as soon as it is safe and we are permitted to do so. Of course, India remains an important and strategic market for us. Looking further ahead, we are seeing strong major demand in the sun markets through the winter as Canadians begin to eagerly anticipate their first holiday since the onset of the pandemic. Demand from Canada is especially strong to Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Hawaii, and Florida. Now, as part of the government's financial package, we've made several commitments, including customer refunds and reinstating service to regional communities. Even before this package was finalized, we had already refunded more than $1.2 billion to eligible customers. In line with our commitment to government and our customers, in May-April, we began offering eligible customers who purchase non-refundable fares the option of a refund. To support our travel agency partners, who have also been significantly impacted by this crisis, we are not recalling agency sales commissions for refunded tickets. In addition, we have revised our booking policies for all future travel, with more options for customers when a flight is cancelled or rescheduled. This policy change will provide certainty and flexibility so customers can book their future travel with greater confidence. We're also progressing on our commitment to reinstate access to regional communities where service was suspended due to COVID-19 pandemic, either directly through our network or new interline agreements with third-party carriers. Looking to Aeroplan's performance in the first quarter, member engagement and activity continued to show resiliency. Unsurprisingly, total points sold remain down year over year, driven primarily by reduced points issued on air and hotel partnerships. Co-brand credit card spend continues to show upside from the 2020 lows and was approximately 80% of last year's level for the first quarter of 2021. However, card spend performance has not improved from Q4 2020 as the most recent wave of COVID-19 lockdowns have stunted the recent spend recovery trend. Cardholders remain engaged overall with card retention rates in line with historical norms. 
When we designed the program, our members told us they wanted more opportunities to earn and redeem points in their everyday lives. In March, we announced a first-of-a-kind partnership with Starbucks Canada, allowing members to earn and redeem aeroplan points while enjoying their favorite Starbucks beverages and snacks. This new partnership is another example of our commitment to rewarding all travelers, both frequent and occasional, and it has been very well received with the number of members linking their Aeroplan and Starbucks account and outperforming our launch targets. While we remain highly selective in who we add to our partner roster, we are actively engaged in conversations to bring more opportunities for our members to engage with the program. Since Aeroplan's relaunch in November, we are seeing strong customer take up of our points plus cash combination payment options, as well as rent fare upsells. These are two new features available when redeeming for flight rewards and additional evidence that the enhanced program provides more choice and value for our members while also improving the profitability of flight rewards. Finally, as part of our ongoing commitment to deliver value and flexibility to our most loyal members, we announced that we are automatically extending Aeroplan Elite status for an additional year until the end of 2022, as well as extended the validity of prior reward vouchers. These changes are some of the many ways we're demonstrating our commitment to welcoming our members back on board. Early in the pandemic, we were quick to pivot to cargo operations, which continue to deliver excellent results to the hard work of our cargo team. Our cargo revenue of $281 million in the first quarter represented an increase of $132 million, or 89%, compared to the same quarter in 2020, and an increase of 59% versus the same quarter in 2019. By the end of 2021, we plan to have two Boeing 767 freighters operating on international cargo routes. These freighters represent an opportunity to continue building on the success of our cargo-only flights and are an important part of our recovery and long-term growth. Freighter operations will complement our passenger network and provide long-term stability and growth for our largest cargo customers, including freight forwarders, who require reliable air freight capacity year-round. We will optimize our capacity and routes using a combination of freighter aircraft, our reconfigured cabin loaded aircraft, and the belly space in our passenger network. In March, we launched our e-commerce platform, Revo. This program in cooperation with local retailers takes advantage of our domestic passenger network facilitating the end-to-end -end distribution of e-commerce goods across Canada and offers logistics and delivery solutions for online retailers that are simply faster and easier to use than what is available to Canadian online shoppers today. This is exciting for us and illustrates our ability to innovate while also leveraging our, our existing assets to capture unique revenue opportunities. Our simplified modern and efficient fleet is well-structured to capture network opportunities once we begin to gradually rebuild. Our Boeing 787 aircraft remains the cornerstone of our international fleet, serving the hub-to-hub -hub routes and select core markets that make up our current skeleton network. Within North America, we continue to take deliveries of the Airbus 220 and welcome more of our Boeing 737 MAX fleet back into service. These aircraft represent the backbone of our fleet and will enable the redevelopment of our network, effectively serving domestic, transborder, and international markets from our three strong Canadian hubs with a consistent onboard product. Throughout the pandemic, we've demonstrated industry leadership in developing our Clean Care Plus program 
and have undertaken several medical collaborations to continue advancing biosafety across the customer journey and our business. This enhanced focus on health and biosafety is going to remain a core component of our customer experience and our efforts throughout the pandemic positions us at the forefront of the industry. In addition, investments we've made in technology prior to the pandemic, including our new reservation system and our transport loyalty program, are now fully implemented. These enhancements are going to transform how we interact with our customers throughout our recovery and well into the future. With the foundational elements in place, including key investments we have made in our fleet, our product, and our customer experience, as well as our ability to seize unique revenue opportunities through aeroplan, cargo, and in new markets, we are primed for recovery. And all of us at Air Canada look forward to welcoming our customers back on board. With that, I will pass it on to Amy. Thank you, Lucy, and good morning, everyone. I would also like to echo Mike and Lucy's comments and thank our employees for their dedication and hard work during these extremely challenging times. I'll start by touching on our costs. Operating expenses were well controlled in a quarter. On a capacity reduction of 82%, operating expenses decreased almost 2.4 billion, or 57% from the same quarter last year. This reflected the lower volume of flying given the COVID-19 pandemic and the significant progress being made on managing variable costs and reducing fixed expenses. You may recall that we completed a cost reduction and capital reduction and deferral program in 2020 as part of our COVID-19 mitigation and recovery plan, which reached $1.7 billion. Although we are no longer reporting on this program, we continue to seek additional opportunities for cost reduction and cash preservation. An example of this was the recent revision to our capacity purchase agreement with JAVS. This revised agreement is expected to deliver $400 million in cost reductions over 15 years. As a part of the revised agreement, the operations of the Embraer 175 aircraft are transformed to JAVS, and JAVS becomes the exclusive Air Canada Express operator, allowing us to achieve operational efficiencies and reduce operating costs and cash burn. Furthermore, Corus will remove all 19-8300 aircraft from the JAVS fleet by the end of this year, which, which will contribute to reducing operating costs. Turning to certain major expense categories in the quarter, beginning with wages and salaries and benefits, they declined $268 million, or 34% in the first quarter, on a lower level of employees, following the major management and frontline workforce reductions affected in 2020. Aircraft maintenance expense decreased $120 million, or 44% from the first quarter of 2020, on a lower volume of maintenance activity due to reduced flying year over year, and the retirement of certain older aircraft from the fleet. A decrease in maintenance provisions resulting from the updated end-of-lease cost estimates in anticipation of returning aircraft to lessors was also a factor. We recorded special items amounting to a net operating expense reduction of $127 million. This included a net benefit of $163 million related to the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, or Q's program, which has supported the airline in retaining a workforce in excess of capacity levels. We plan to continue to participate in this program, which is expected to be extended to September 2021, subject to meeting eligibility requirements. Special items also included an impairment charge of $20 million 
pertaining to the ongoing adjustments related to the fleet retirement program, as well as a $12.5 million fee related to the termination of Air Canada's arrangement agreement with Transact. Turning to liquidity, in the first quarter of 2021, we continue to take actions to support our liquidity position. In January, we announced the partial exercise of an over-allotment option in connection with an offering of Air Canada shares completed in December. This resulted in net proceeds of $60 million. In March, we concluded a committed secured facility totaling $475 million U.S. to finance the purchase of the remaining 15 Airbus A220 aircraft scheduled for delivery in 21 and 2022. We also extended our U.S. $600 million and Canadian $200 million revolving credit facilities by one year to April 2024 and December 2023, respectively. At the end of March, unrestricted liquidity amounted to nearly $6.6 billion. In April, we substantially increased our available liquidity through a series of debt and equity financing agreements with the Government of Canada. In addition to the gross proceeds of $500 million from an equity investment, the financial package allows us to access up to $5.4 billion in debt financing through fully repayable loans that we would draw down if and as required, comprised of a five-year, $1.5 billion secured revolving credit facility maturing in April 2026, which is secured on a first lien basis by the assets of Aeroplan Inc. and certain Air Canada assets relating to Aeroplan. Unsecured loans of $2.475 billion in the form of three non-revolving credit facilities of $825 million each, maturing in April 2026, April 2027, and April 2028, respectively, and a seven-year $1.4 billion unsecured credit facility for refunds of non-refundable tickets. Note that the refunds will generally be cash neutral to Air Canada's liquidity position. Our unencumbered asset pool amounted to approximately $1.7 billion at the end of the quarter. This pool excludes the value of Aeroplan, Air Canada Vacations, and Air Canada Cargo. As part of our ongoing efforts to maintain adequate liquidity levels, additional financing arrangements continue to be assessed and may be pursued. Moving on to cash burn, in the first quarter of 21, our net cash burn was $1.274 billion, or approximately $14 million per day on average, lower than that what was previously anticipated. This included $2 million per day in net capital expenditures and $4 million per day in lease and debt service costs. The improvement in net cash burn, from what we previously projected, was attributable to a combination of higher than anticipated operating earnings, favorable timing on working capital, and the deferred settlement of aircraft lease returns. Looking ahead at the second quarter, we estimate net cash burn of between $13 million to $15 million per day on average. This net cash burn projection includes $2 million per day in capital expenditures, net of financing, and $5 million per day in lease and debt service costs. Compared to the first quarter, second quarter 2021 includes approximately $1 million per day in higher scheduled debt principal repayments, an increase in end of lease payments due to the more aircraft being returned to lessors, and reflects the continuing impact of the pandemic on travel demand. Given the ongoing impact of the pandemic on earnings and advanced ticket sales, we don't expect net cash burn 
to meaningfully, meaningfully improve until governments communicate and implement a reopening plan for Canada. For the second quarter, our net cash burn projection excludes the amount of expected eligible refunds of non-refundable fares being processed pursuant to the change in the refund policy we announced on April 12th. We estimate that the maximum exposure to cash refunds for all eligible customers holding non-refundable tickets is approximately $2 billion. While it is difficult to predict the number of customers who will request a cash refund for non-refundable tickets, based on past experience and our current observations since the change in refund policy, we expect cash refunds to be substantially less than $2 billion as certain customers will choose to retain their travel voucher. Lastly, turning to pensions, the aggregate solvency surplus in our Canadian defined pension plans was $3 billion at the beginning of this year, an increase of $400 million from the pension solvency surplus in these plans on January 1, 2020. Before I turn it back to Mike, I would like to offer, once again, a heartfelt thank you to our employees for their unwavering efforts. I am confident that better times are ahead of us. I would also like to acknowledge the upcoming retirement of Kathy Murphy, will be leaving us at the end of this month after 39 years of loyal and dedicated service. I know that many of you have had the pleasure of working with Kathy over the last several years. Please join us in wishing her best in her retirement. I will now turn it over to Mike. Thank you, Amos. As you heard today, have seen in our response to COVID-19 throughout the past year, Air Canada is effectively managing through the pandemic. We are doing this not only from a defensive perspective, but also making strategic investments that will improve our relative competitiveness. This is largely due to the prudent measures we took long before COVID's onset. We spent a decade creating a resilient airline with a strong can-do culture. This included accumulating a large liquidity cushion in case of a prolonged business disruption. As well, we acted very quickly early in the pandemic we took difficult and decisive actions to cut costs and reduce our network. For those who continue to fly, we put in place effective biosafety measures, moving well ahead of government on such things as the requirement for passengers to wear masks and for pre-flight temperature checks. We initiated third-party research with McMaster Health Labs and the GTAA to find the most effective use of testing and quarantine to limit COVID spread and we have partnered with scientific organizations such as Cleveland Clinic and with the industry through the Creative Destruction Labs to share and apply the most current scientific knowledge. We understand and acknowledge that Canada is in the middle of a very difficult third wave. However, there is cautious optimism given the increasing vaccination rate that we are nearing an inflection point in a pandemic. And as a result, we believe Canada must plan next steps. It is time to develop and communicate a reopening plan for international travel to and from Canada. After over 14 months of restrictions, Canadians who we know are eager to travel want and deserve clear guidelines. They want to know when they will be able to travel internationally again and under what protocols. They are seeing other countries articulate clear and safe plans, and they want to hear what Canada's plan will be. 
For these reasons, we along with others have been consulting regularly with the federal government, as well as expert advisory panels here and worldwide to provide recommendations and advice on how to safely open up travel. For example, the current mandatory hotel quarantine for arrivals has proven ineffective. It should be eliminated. In addition, based on the experience of public health authorities in most G7 countries, we believe that with a vaccination program not now underway nationally, a modified and more relevant approach to testing and quarantine would keep Canadians safe while allowing our country to reopen for international travel. Apart from our company's needs or satisfying the desires of individuals to reconnect with family and friends, the Government of Canada must act because air transport is a central pillar in the nation's infrastructure. A multicultural trading nation like Canada needs a healthy aviation sector. Prior to COVID-19, Air Canada by itself had an almost 2% GDP economic footprint. It directly supported almost 40,000 high-paying jobs, plus another 190,000 jobs indirectly in the critical aerospace sector. For all these reasons we just spoke about, Canada needs to develop and communicate an international travel reopening plan. Air Canada, working with many travel partners, will continue to provide relevant input and push for these next steps as we safely emerge from the pandemic. Thank you, and we are now ready for questions. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. We thank you for your patience. Our first question is from Cameron Dirksen from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, good morning, and uh, congratulations, Kathy, on your retirement. Um, I just had a, a question about the, I guess, the cash refunds, and I'm wondering if you can maybe just talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, the take-up so far, what you've seen uh, as far as people asking for cash or for sticking with their vouchers, or you've also got a fairly attractive uh, I guess uh, aeroplan uh, option as well. So, what's the what's been the the what, what have you seen so far as far as uh, actual cash refunds? Well, good morning, Cameron. It's Amos. Uh, thanks for uh, dialing in. So, we're actually a bit surprised. The take up has been uh, much slower than uh, than anticipated, given, uh, of course, all of the uh, news we have seen and all of the uh, commentary and such. So, right now, it's uh, it's it's a slow uptake. Um, we're continuing to actively reach out to customers proactively, reminding them that they have uh, tickets that are eligible for refunds. I've uh, been working with the trades, uh, working with the travel agency communities and, and the like. So we continue to push, but uh, we're sort of surprised again at, uh, at a slow take up on that. Okay, that's awful. And just, just secondly for me, um, I, I just wonder if you can you know, discuss a little bit what you're seeing for bookings maybe later in the year um, when I think most people would sort of assume that they might be able to travel internationally again. Are, are you seeing any, you know, significant increases uh, there, uh, you know, as far as interest, I guess, later in this year or maybe even into the early part of 2022? 
Yes, hi, it's, uh, it's Lucy. Uh, we definitely are. In fact, um, I'll, I'll separate uh, perhaps Q4, Q1 uh, from what we're observing in, uh, in Q3, but certainly for the fourth and first uh, quarter of 2022, uh, we're definitely seeing uh, a strong base for uh, bookings to sun destinations, so the Caribbean, Hawaii, Florida, namely. Uh, so definitely uh, we're seeing customers uh, uh, you know, assuming that by the time we reach uh, Q4, the first quarter, that uh, travel restrictions will be somewhat eased. Uh, so definitely we're seeing a good uh, uh, appetite there for bookings. And in looking at the third quarter, uh, as you know, you know, much of our efforts as we move forward is uh, in the ZFR uh, and leisure space. So we are seeing, uh, uh, you know, some good uptake for uh, our interna uh, international markets in the summer peak, and uh, also um, a good base uh, and very encouraging uh, advanced bookings as it pertains to our six freedom traffic, so traffic originating out of the U.S. Um, so, so definitely as we look further down, um, the signs are positive. The signs are positive. Great. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you. Our following question is from on Turkey from Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Uh, Lucy, can, can you, I appreciate the comparison you made to your expectation that demand will, will pick up like it did in the U.S. once vaccines roll out, but how does the, the seasonal difference in, or in the timing of that factor into that comment? Like if restrictions ease as, as people are going back to school, for example, does that just push out that demand recovery, even though the trajectory might be the same, does, does it push out the timing of it maybe into the early part of next year if that vaccine progress occurs, you know, later in the summer going into the fall? Well, I think the first, um, it's an interesting comment because, you know, obviously we observe uh, trends in other markets, you know, to, to inform us as well as, you know, in terms of what can happen in Canada when some of the restrictions ease. There's no doubt that our view is the summer peak, as we know it, will probably push out a little bit into September and October. Um, you know, traditionally, July and August, obviously, are peak, peak months, but we, we do assume that some of that will push out a little bit into uh, uh, September and uh, October. Um, and then with respect to um, corporate travel, which is, you know, obviously one, uh, one area that uh, we're watching very, very closely, that, I think, will be... a uh, Probably something that we'll start to see in, you know, Q3, late Q3, you know, with the Labor Day. Uh, we don't believe that we'll see any of that uh, in the uh, in the closer term. But there's no doubt from a seasonal point of view, we'll be well poised to capture the strong leisure demands in the in the fourth quarter for the you know the sun uh, the sun routes. Um, mm -hmm. okay. But certainly, you know, Europe for sure will push into September, October, in our view. I got you. And then and on that point, my follow-up is, uh, is there any data points you can share with us, Lucy, on corporate? You know, obviously at this point we're all just talking about in intentions to travel. Um, but uh, can, you give us, can you give us any data points that, that you've quantified through survey work or the like around how you expect corporate to, to spool up? Thank you.
and obviously, you know, will be largest for us in the domestic sector. Uh, but basically, our assumption is will be in that in the September window. And, and that's and Lucy, that's based on and Andrea, that's based on constant discussions with our largest corporate customers, which we're we're constantly in contact with. Okay, thank you both. Thank you. Our following question is from Servicesite from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm just curious, uh, if, as summer demand comes back and, and if it's strong and, and the kind of the restrictions are lifted, how much could you kind of ramp your capacity back up in, in the third and fourth quarter kind of relative to 2019 levels? I think, Savvy, it's Mike. I'll, I'll start with that. Um, so we're spending a lot of time running different scenarios as to uh, bringing back aircraft and bringing back people. Uh, to and, and again, to Lucy's earlier comment, we are certainly monitoring other markets. You know, U.S. is obviously ahead of us as to how fast employment's moved up over the last couple months. And so we are prepared certainly to, uh, to deal with that type of, uh, of, of step function in, in, in capacity increases in a fairly short order. Uh, we've kept uh, all our pilots uh, recent and, and uh, with, with rotation and, and they're still on staff. Um, you know, we're certainly keeping all our planes fully operational, uh, although some of them are parked in the desert, as, as most airlines have. Uh, but, uh, but we're certainly ready to, to, uh, to add capacity fairly quickly. Um, and, and also, Savvy, to, to a large degree, we're also spending a lot of time with our partners, airports, uh, government uh, agencies, to ensure that they can also uh, step up uh, to capacity to ensure that we provide the best possible customer experience uh, for, for that returning customer. So, I mean, theoretically, you could get back to 100% if, if that was necessary, or is there kind of an upper limit uh, on I, I don't, on I don't think so. Really it depends what time frame, but I think it's going to take us a little mm -hmm. longer to get back to 100%. We don't, you know, we would love to have that, that challenge, um, sure. but, uh, <laughs> but we don't think, based on, based on trends in other countries, uh, like like U.S. obviously, which is watching closely, uh, we we don't see that happening. And then if I might, for a second question, just if if you look a little bit medium to longer term, and it, kind of going off a little bit on, on the hunter's question on business, but if if you look at your fleet retirements and and then kind of the configuration of the of the new aircraft coming in, and perhaps some of the cost enhancements that you've done, like how much of a loss of the premium traffic? Can your can can the business model handle and still generate you know the margins that you were heading towards um, kind of pre-crisis, um, you know, and, and I'm guessing this is more mostly kind of premium business demand that might be might be lost in in terms of the the number of trips people take. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating question. Something we've been talking about internally quite a bit. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to debate whether all business traffic comes back over a period of time and, 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 and versus you know, X percent. Uh, there are a number of studies out there that, that indicate you know, a range of numbers, basically. Um, but, but, but we're reasonable. Certainly, we've downsized our fleet. Um, and so that does take into consideration that there'll be less uh, traffic overall. Uh, and as we said before in, on these calls, we. Um, you know, we've taken a fairly defensive position on our fleet, and we will go search for new planes, uh, whether new or leased, um, to, to fill gaps if, if required. Um, 
So I think we're well positioned uh, to be flexible on the uh, on the business side. We do, although, believe business will come back, and we are seeing indications in out of the U.S. and certainly speaking to our corporate uh, customers that there is a pent up demand for business as well, uh, mm-hmm. frankly, and and that we do see it recovering. Maybe certainly a little bit later than VFR. But certainly, we do see strong indications that it will recover. I'll turn over to Lucy to provide some more color. Yes, and uh, Mike, if I can, if I can add, um, when you look at it from our, our fleet perspective, we're actually uh, in a in a better position given the low budgets that we have. So if you look at the size of our cabins, not only just on the narrow body fleet, but on our wide body fleet, we we actually have the best low bud to be able to deal with the fact that this demand might take a little bit longer uh, to recover. In fact, in years past, you know, if we go back to 2018, 2019, in the peak of the strength, we were actually looking at scenarios where, you know, perhaps we would need to relook at our LOPAs and the premium cabins on our white body airplanes. So the fact that we are sitting with the fleet we are now, looking at what's ahead for us, uh, we're actually uh, in a pretty good position. And, you know, needless to say, in some of these VFR markets that we talk about, there is opportunity as well for premium traffic, for leisure demand, uh, and, you know, things that we haven't really focused on in the past that we are certainly uh, going to focus on in the future. So there may be a different mix, uh, but certainly the locals we have, we're actually in a very good position. And, and that's, in, you know, both narrow body and, uh, and wide body seats. That's a good point. Thank you. Thank you. The following question is from Chris Murray from ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. <clears throat> Thanks, folks. Um, and Kathy, let me echo my congratulations on your on your retirement. Um, I guess moving on, you know, just thinking about um, the tourism and leisure business now that the transat uh, transaction is is, is gone. Um, when you think about Rouge, when it was originally created, there was a lot of thoughts around, you know, creating a standalone, uh, dedicated travel arm. Um, but you've also pulled down a lot of capacity there. How do we think about um, the future of Rouge um, with Transat probably still as a competitor, and, and how do you integrate that with the rest of the company? Well, certainly, uh, there's, there's definitely a future for Rouge here. Uh, as it stands, our, our plans are um, on the narrow body fleet, so basically for uh, the leisure markets uh, to reinstate service in September. And of course, you know, the fact that we uh, retired, or that we, I should say, moved the 767s uh, to, to cargo, uh, we don't have the 767s planned for Rouge uh, on the international market. But there are definitely, in the, in the current network, and certainly when we look at the future, the type of traffic that we're going to look to capture, uh, there's definitely an opportunity for, for Rouge, and it's fully our intention to, uh, to keep it as part of our, um, of our mix. Yeah, and Chris, just to add to that, again, the focus will be on the narrow body into, into the Caribbean and some, mar- some markets, but we will also continue to move uh, passengers through major hubs in Europe and working with our partners as well. Uh, and okay. so we think we can capture both both those customer elements uh, without the 6-7 program in place. Okay. Um, This is maybe a a little bit of a longer-term question, but, you know, looking at your CapEx forecast, it's kind of interesting to see kind of 24, 25, it's essentially maintenance capital, if that. Um, But, you know, going back and thinking about uh, fleet and and where you may want to go, 
Um, you know, I think about, you know, I was, I was looking at the traffic data from around SARS uh, back in 2002, 2003, and 2004, um, and the, the capacity came back really, really fast um, with the demand. So how do we think about, um, you know, your, your ability or your thought process around adding additional capacity? And, I, and I'm thinking about this from, you know, maybe having the reset and, and the thoughts around free cash flow and, and the balance on, you know, what you can do with the existing fleet and what, what would be some of the indicators that we should be thinking about before you want to start adding additional aircraft? Uh, well, another very interesting question on, on long-term planning. And like I said before, I think we've got a fair amount of flexibility. We have, you know, we're, we're basically through our refleeting program, both for wide bodies and narrow bodies. We're not that far away from getting the 220s in place and, and the max in place. Um, and we will have an unbelievably efficient fleet uh, to, to, to exit the pandemic. Uh, we have options available on max and on 220s. Uh, we have, uh, and certainly we can go source planes uh, once we see indicators of, uh, of, of growth beyond our expectations. Um, and our current fleet uh, does have, uh, you know, does have certainly have the ability to, to cover the majority of ASMs. We 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 uh, we, uh, we moved in 2019, uh, as you saw probably from the fleet table, Chris that we will probably keep our 319s a little bit longer than we expect. That's kind of our swing uh, fleet as well. That provides us, again, additional flexibility because most of those planes are owned. Uh, and so we can continue with those for several years and, and take advantage of, of capacity growing faster than, than, than what we've anticipated, which again, like I said earlier, would be a very nice problem to have. So I think we've done a pretty good job covering ourselves uh, for you know, growth beyond our expectations, but certainly uh, also for, for even further fine-tuning and, and, and potentially getting rid of the 319s if the market doesn't come back as fast as, as we want it to. That gives us the opportunity, Chris, to then step into potentially new types of aircraft, um, uh, you know, like the 321LRs, for example, that we, that we, that we, we like, that have, certainly have a, potentially have a place in Air Canada's fleet uh, as we go forward. So I think positioning for that flexibility was critical from our perspective, and it gives us a little bit of time to look carefully as to what uh, what plane type it best fits uh, the evolving business model that we will, uh, will you know, that will uh, will experience over the next couple of years. Okay, just just maybe a quick update. Uh, if we were thinking about you know kind of getting back to call it you know eighty to ninety percent of twenty nineteen levels what do you, what, would, what what should we be thinking about as maintenance capex for for the company I, I think you know maintenance capex and this would include everything non aircraft uh, let's, let's start with non aircraft five six hundred million dollars a year uh, a lot of that to do with technology we, you know, we certainly see technology as a critical enabler uh, in, in our in improving our customer experience as we go forward. And, uh, and our efficiencies as we go forward. And then, you know, from a plane perspective, you know, you know assuming growth of a couple percent or, 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 you know, improvements in ESG, you know, and another, you know, five, six hundred million dollars on top of that, basically, either through leased or through, uh, through, through acquisition. All right. That's helpful. Thanks, folks. Thank you. A following question is from Tim James from TD Securities. Please go ahead. 
Uh, thank you. Um, good morning. Um, I just want to ask a, a question regarding it, and Mike, your, your commentary on sort of um, hopes, I guess, for government communication, I think were quite interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm just wondering, have you got any sense from the government on what level of new cases, what vaccination percentage, hospital capacity, or any other factors would allow for changes to travel restrictions? Or are you kind of literally going to show up one day and, and find out they're about to change? Or can you kind of look out and make your own projections on some of these factors and then say, okay, we think we're going to get to this point, you know, at this at this time, and therefore here's when we kind of start ramping? Uh, the short answer to that is we don't have a, a direct sign from the Canadian government as to what triggers uh, a reopening. They are, I think you've read in the media recently you know, some indications of vaccination levels, uh, for example, being, being critical, obviously. Uh, and our discussions with the Canadian government are, are you know, obviously tr you know, exploring that situation, but also uh, making sure that we can communicate well before that to customers that those restrictions are, are coming off, basically. So customers can book, and, and we can call back employees, and we can bring back aircraft, so we're ready for, for that type of situation. And you know, we looked at other countries, um, uh, like for example, the UK issued a, a, a reopening plan back in mid-April, uh, which has uh, you know, a number of dates, which could move depending on the situation, depending on, uh, on, on a third wave or or increases in, uh, in, in caseloads. Uh, but we're advocating with our Canadian government, that's something that we should look at um, to provide clarity uh, as we go forward, basically. We, saw, we just saw it recently with, with Saskatchewan that provided some, you know, some step process. And although that doesn't deal directly with travel, I think that's a good first step uh, from our perspective. And so we are spending, uh, you know, along with uh, with other key travel partners, uh, a fair amount of time with the Canadian government and having positive discussions on that topic and, and how to move forward. Okay, thank you. Um, my next question is around pricing. Um, maybe for Lucy here, I guess. How are you thinking about the pricing decision going forward as demand comes back? And, and I'm thinking about you know, how desperate some people may be to travel and, and willing to pay virtually any fare versus the need for stimulating uh, some confidence in, in maybe other travelers with lower fares. Hi, it's uh, the, the, the magical question, but, uh, you know, there's a, a couple of things here. Um, there's no doubt that as we, you know, start uh, our recovery here, um, the, you know, the, the general... Uh, elements, you know, that we work with, you know, for example, uh, you know, how we have potential to yield up based on load factors, that kind of thing. Those, those, um, this is a little bit more difficult in this, in this kind of environment. From a pricing standpoint, uh, you're right, in some markets we will definitely see, uh, you know, a surge in demand where this demand is perhaps less, uh, you know, price sensitive. And uh, you know we will definitely do what we need to do there to to hold to hold the, the pricing, but in the leisure space we expect that the environment will be far more uh, competitive 
and also, you know, given the fact that the low tractors will, will build over time. What gives me confidence is that, number one, we have the right tools to be able to manage that, uh, you know, because, you know, a lot of these flows will come from different points of sales, different countries, so we'll still have, you know, really good tools to help us do that so we can actually manage the, the yield, uh, you know, to the best of our ability. And, you know, we also have different levers at our disposal, like branded fares, for example, even some opportunities with the uh, Aeroplan program to be able to, um, uh, you know, hold on to uh, the pricing where we, where we can. So the fact that we have different levers gives me confidence that we're going to be able to, to manage the different market segments. But there's no doubt in this kind of environment as, you know, we try to rebuild, all carriers, particularly the Canadian carriers, have a lower load factor that you can expect the environment to be, uh, you know, to be competitive. But certainly when there are peak travel periods and we have the ability to, to yield up, we will absolutely do that. We'll absolutely do that. Okay, thank you. And then just my final question, um, and, and, and I'm sure you can't quantify this too, too specifically, but I'm just wondering if you could characterize um, your booking assumption that's embedded in your cash burn guidance for the second quarter. Um, I don't know whether it's relative to Q1 just directionally or if you expect much of a, an improvement as the quarter progresses. Just any kind of color you could provide on the booking assumption. Yeah, Tim, it's Amos. Uh, really fairly much the same, not much improvement uh, given the uh, third wave uh, that we've seen here, the additional lockdowns, and certainly uh, when you look at uh, in the stoppage of uh, service to India. So all of those played a factor in, uh, in looking at the cash for members. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Our following question is from Fadi Shamoun from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you, good morning. And uh, congrats on your retirement, Kathy, and all the best. Uh, so a couple of questions. First, um, how, how much of capacity can you ramp up, uh, you know, given potentially snapback in demand once restriction or ease? How much capacity can you ramp up quickly with the current resources that you have, especially in terms of crews and pilots? And then if you can give us kind of an idea of how you manage the bottleneck, how, like how, how much ahead of time would you need to start recalling and retraining in order to kind of ramp up the demand uh, after that? Okay. Um, so, Fadi, Mike, uh, good morning. So let's start with what we currently have in place. Um, as you can see from our financial statements, we're running, up, you know, load factors that are fairly low. Uh, so right away, there is a hedge in place on existing uh, on the on the existing infrastructure that we could increase the load factors. So without recalling anybody, frankly, at the, at the end of the day, or or without uh, bringing back any any more planes, that provides us a cushion to some degree to then manage the next step to to you know what it steps up to. And as I was saying earlier, we've been you know, closely following how the U.S. employments have have been increasing. Uh, by 10, 20 percent over over you know a month or two months basically, and certainly within that time frame, we're very very comfortable in bringing back people and bringing back planes to satisfy the uh, the booking curve that uh, that uh, would uh, would step up at that point in time. So again, kind of a two-step process at a very high level. We have existing capacity right now, 
and then that provides us adequate time to to bring back based on the booking curves uh, people and uh, and uh, and planes basically. You know, to, to the earlier question, no way we could probably bring back 100% over that period of time, but certainly uh, we we do not expect that to happen. And if the U.S. is any example. Uh, we can easily uh, bring back capacity in, in, in those increments. Okay, and, and how do you um, kind of think about the time, advanced time you need to bring back resources like crews and pilots if you... Uh, yeah, I mean, pilots right now, we yeah. haven't laid off pilots or furloughed pilots, so they're still on our payroll and, and, and being uh, going through training, uh, basically, and rotating. So, so that is not a constraint uh, from our perspective. Being, bringing back flight attendants uh, is a fairly straightforward process. You recall them and you put them through a couple of days of training to to uh, to to, re, to reacquaint them with with the rules. So, so those are two crit critical roles. And then, of course, as I said earlier, the planes are being well maintained uh, in in their where they're being parked right now, and so bringing them back is, is not going to be a constraining factor either. Okay, um, my second question on the liquidity and capital uh, and the balance side. So you, you you've ended March at 6.5, and you ultimately have this um, uh, agreement with the government. You've got kind of 500 million of equity, and then 1.5 billion of low interest loans. Kind of immediately. I mean, it looks like with potentially demand starting to recover a little bit later this year and into 2022, that should be uh, kind of good liquidity cushion. I, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on two things. One is the kind of financing going forward more towards, I mean, kind of the debt maturity management, and are you comfortable with the kind of split? debt of equity that you did with the most recent financing with the Canadian government? Yeah, so, Fatty, uh, good morning. It's Seamus. Uh, yeah, you know, we're certainly the, the government liquidity package provides, you know, good liquidity and, um, and insurance for us as we go forward. But, you know, we'll continue to look at our, you know, capital structure from the point of, you know, managing the debt maturities uh, and trying to continue to push those out uh, as, as the opportunities arise. And then I think, you know, as we, you know, continue to look at, you know, managing liquidity and balance sheet going forward, um, at, at this point, you know, as, as we look at any other opportunities, you know, we'll, we'll continue to assess and monitor the market. And if there's something that makes sense to uh, step into or to take advantage of uh, that would help the, uh, the structure, we, we will do so. Yeah, uh, Fatty, our, our, certainly our focus will be more on debt. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, Stepped into the equity markets a couple of times over the last 12 months. So that was a conscious effort to to manage our long-term balance sheet. Uh, but certainly, uh, the debt markets are are available to us uh, for future financing if, if required. Great, thank you. That's helpful. Thank you. The following question is from Karnark Gupta from Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks and uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, I echo my congrats for Kathy. Um, so, me first to begin with, uh, perhaps if you can ask at this time, um, if you if you were to rank your five segments uh, in terms of capacity recovery, whenever that happens so later this year, uh, where would you put them? Uh, I I heard some destinations and leisure markets being the top, but like if you if you were to look at the segments, how would you rank those, please? 
Um, on the five different segments, in terms of uh, first to recover, uh, I think I think you know certainly domestic is number one. Um, you know, you, it really depends on restrictions, but you know, we, we you know, U.S. you know maybe may number two, along with the sun markets, transatlantic, roughly the same time. I think last is probably probably Asia. Okay, that makes sense, Mike. Thanks. Um, and then on the Q2 cash burn, um, so the guidance is kind of steady versus Q1. Uh, and uh, I think you guys are calling for debt lease service costs being up as well as I think end of lease payment is also going up in Q2. Um, however, CapEx seems flat and uh, capacity is going up slightly versus Q1. Um, how should we think about uh, you know revenue and cost and the rate subsidy? I'm like, do they? Um, do you kind of assume them as relatively steady versus Q1, which is kind of uh, the underlying assumption for uh, flattish uh, cash burn in Q1? And then um, do you also uh, assume that the $400 million debt maturity that is due, um, or was due in April, that is excluded from the cash burn? So uh, a couple of points there. Uh, good morning, Conarch. Um, yeah, for the most part, it is really steady from what we see here in the first quarter as we don't see much in terms of uh, demand given, again, the third wave that we're experiencing in Canada uh, and the other capacity reductions we've taken into account. So all that sort of is factored in into the uh, cash burn. Uh, same with uh, the Q's subsidy and all. So essentially more of the same through the third quarter. Uh, as you know, the Q's program was extended, not yet fully approved through September, but uh, you know, subject to eligibility requirements, uh, we'll be partaking through that through um, through the quarter. Um, the uh, the debt that we paid back in in uh, mid-April is excluded from the from the from the cash burn. That was the 400 million dollar unsecured uh, U.S. Uh, that we we just paid back. Okay. Th thanks. Um, and then um, I think that it's sort of a long picture, and it's, it's you know again kind of beating the dead horse on on uh, the, the long-term outlook, which you know it's very hard to predict, uh, I guess at this point. Uh, but based on what you know, Mike, uh, today, um, you know, including the scheduled lifting off of restrictions across various markets, be it India or some destinations or U.S. transporter, what is your sense on the timing of? cash break even? I know it's a hard question, but just, you know, if you were to pinpoint uh, to a time frame, where would you put that? And, and assuming you're, you're excluding lump sum maturities and refunds, that will be funded with the government loan. Uh, listen, Connor, it's a fair question. And, and, you know, we have spent an incredible amount of time just not planning from an operational perspective to bring back capacity, but also from a financial perspective. Uh, we've done an incredible job uh, taking out costs and lowering that break-even point, as we talked about before. Again, a lot. It all depends on the government uh, lifting restrictions and, and which markets do they open up. Uh, certainly, the U.S. and transatlantic are very, very important to us, uh, given given our exposure to those markets. If those markets open up, you know, towards this summer or later this summer, uh, then the break-even point uh, will will happen quicker, uh, basically. But you know, I hate to answer your question with a conditional, but it, it has to be that way, frankly, is that uh, we do know, uh, and, and certainly we will, 
we will let the market know once restrictions are, are open as to when we believe we can we can break even. But I, it's you know again depending on how fast market comes back and can, what kind, what are the what are the reductions and restrictions and and you know was speaking to the Canadian government obviously about different protocols for vaccinated passengers versus unvaccinated passengers. And so there is so many different uh, components involved with this uh, that uh, that we factored in. But again, we're we're comfortable that once restrictions are are open uh, and countries uh, are also open up to Canada, which is the other situation, uh, that uh, we'll be able to, uh, to you know to, to express the market fairly quickly uh, when our when when we should break even. Yeah, that, that's a fair point, Mike. And just to that point, uh, if I can clarify, um, if you have any sense as to, you know, a lot of people uh, and, and sort of the younger people between 18 and 40, they are about to get their first vaccine dose uh, shortly and probably the second dose in, in September or so. So, like, is it fair to expect that, you know, like late Q4 timeframe is the first period when you might see the beginning of the sort of recovery in leisure markets, at least be some destinations or Europe, international or India or wherever? No, we think we'll see a little bit earlier than that. Um, as Lucy said, I think probably late summer. Uh, you know, we're not going to probably get the summer peak this year in July, August. As Lucy said, we're probably going to push to the right a bit. But, but we will start seeing, and, and again, as you know, in this business, advanced bookings are, are, are critical. And so as we as, as these restrictions get lifted and a plan is put in place by the Canadian government and communicates to, the, to, the, to Canadians, we, we, we will see bookings go up, and uh, that will be our first indication of our ability to break even and what, what point we will break even, frankly. And so, um, you know, again, as we said today, uh, you know, Q1 was, was Q1, and Q2 is not going to be much different. Uh, but we've got a lot of work to do in Q2 to uh, to uh, to work with the Canadian government to ensure that we can communicate a, a reopening plan, and so that uh, we can start seeing advanced bookings come in, um, and then we can provide better clarity to the market as to wh where the break-even point is. Uh, appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Stephen Trent on CP Group. Please go ahead. Uh, yes, good morning, everybody, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, uh, two quick ones for me. Um, you know, first off, um, now that the transact acquisition is off the table, have you seen sort of any uh, adjustments in competitors' body language? No. Uh, I mean, transact's still shut down uh, for the most part. I, I don't think they're opening up until a month from now, roughly, late June. Uh, so we have we have we have really not and obviously they're still open for bookings, but we have not seen any any change in uh, in behavior. Okay, great. And just one other quick question. I know as part of the agreement with the Canadian government that uh, you know you'll be servicing uh, some specific routes, but with respect to uh, domestic route openings or closings, uh, because of the agreement, is there any? extra layer of uh, consideration or any sort of approval you might need beyond just Canadian aviation regulators for uh, other domestic capacity adjustments? No. No, Stephen. No, we're, we're fully able to operate whichever way we feel best, uh, that best suits our objectives. 
know, we did commit to the Canadian government that we would reopen uh, you know, a number of, of small regional routes, uh, either through interline or direct, and uh, we'll put those in place, uh, you know, in, in due course, basically. But but other than that, there is no other limitation or obligation uh, for us on our operations. Okay, appreciate it, and congrats to you, uh, Kathy and. Uh, Amos, thank you again for your time. We're looking forward to Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you. The following question is from Kevin Chang from CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi. Good, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. And, and, and congrats, Kathy, on, on your retirement. All the best. You know, I personally to thank you for all, for, for all the help through the years here. Um, Maybe Mike, if, if I could, if I could ask the 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 the, the, the question on, on, on corporate customers, I, I know you you don't want to debate, you know, how much comes back if it all comes back, but I'm interested in knowing, you know, maybe how your conversations have evolved over the past six to nine months, you know, you know, in terms of you know conversations you would have had maybe middle of last year in terms of maybe how much permanent uh, decline in demand some of your corporate customers customers might have thought. Uh, you know, nine months ago versus maybe what they're thinking today as, you know, as we've been locked at home for, you know, the better part of 14 months here in Canada? In the, in the uh, discussions, in fact, that we've had with uh, uh, cor Corporate Canada, probably one of the biggest uh, indicators for them was, um, you know, how they approached work from home. And... Uh, Many corporations uh, in their corporate travel policies basically uh, indicated that as long as their employees were working from home, uh, they were, you know, really restricted in terms of uh, in terms of their uh, ability to travel uh, for purposes of business. What we're seeing now, though, is there's there's definitely an appetite uh, for corporate Canada to return to travel. The biggest uh, deterrent, of course, as we know, and Mike talked about, you know, easing the restrictions, but from a corporate perspective, it's really the quarantine requirement that obviously is the biggest, uh, the, you know, the biggest uh, deterrent. Uh, but I think, you know, based on the indications that we're getting from corporate Canada, the only thing that may be a little bit different uh, in the future than what we've known in the past is same-day travel. So, you know, some are thinking that perhaps this is one area uh, we should expect to see a little bit less uh, of corporate uh, travel, but certainly from a international standpoint, you know, transborder, the intention is to return. But basically it has to come with, uh, it has to come with the, uh, the easing of restrictions and also obviously it has to come with uh, their own, you know, uh, internal policies in terms of, uh, of uh, work. Yeah. This is why, Kevin, Air Canada has been a leader in at-home testing as well, which we think will, is part of the solution as well. I mean, uh, with the rapid testing, now being authorized for at-home use in Ontario, for example, one of our largest markets. We're using that ourselves uh, for people to come into work, uh, come into our warehouses, come into our, our distribution centers, and it's proving to be very, very effective, and more and more companies are stepping into that protocol uh, to try and get, and again, this is a, you know, we can debate this for a while on the hybrid office environment as we go forward, but, you know, most, most believe that there will be a hybrid office people will come back to work and, and there'll be there'll be you know some protocols for some period of time and the rapid testing at home is a, is a very very inexpensive and a, an appropriate way to uh, to get people back into their offices for some period some part of the week that, that, that makes sense and that, that's helpful color maybe just my second question you know it, it feels like the Canadian airline industry and, and yourselves included obviously have been 
have been asking the Canadian government for some time now to, to kind of, I guess, remove these blanket travel restrictions and, and, and replace them with, with science-based testing. I, I don't get the sense we've made any real progress there. It'd be interesting to know if, if, you, if you think this is something or are you hearing anything from the government that suggests that they're, they're looking at, at transitioning these, these restrictions to, towards more, more of a scientific-based one? Or, or does this just come down to vaccines and, and the, the, the faster we get vaccinated, uh, you know, these restrictions get eliminated? Yeah, I think there's a couple elements to that, Kevin. I, I mean, I think there's no doubt the Canadian government is very focused on this. Uh, they know how important uh, travel is to, to, the, to the economic environment. Um, I, um, you know, certainly the third wave has made it more difficult to do anything uh, at this point in time. But there is tremendous work being done uh, behind the scenes to prepare. Uh, there is an expert panel coming out potentially with uh, with some recommendations on borders and and quarantines in the next several weeks, which we think will be important as well. Uh, so so again, there is a fair amount of work being done uh, to prepare. And uh, all we're saying today is that uh, and we will continue to push to, uh, to for the Canadian government to 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 communicate that plan. Um, as we go forward, but uh, but I, again, I can I can assure you and assure everyone on the call that there is a fair amount of work uh, being done behind the scenes. Just just on your net zero plan by by uh, by 2050, can you remind me? Are, are you evaluating um, SAS sustainable aviation fuels uh, right now, or is that something you'll you'll you'll, you'll be looking oh, I, at? I, I, Kevin, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we'll be more transparent with our plan, but uh, again, SAF will, will be a big piece of the solution to get to net zero and also 20% by 2030 as well. Uh, well, so there's, we have an interim target as well uh, for emissions. And so technology is a big issue, and we're speaking to many companies, including Airbus and Boeing and GE, about new technology coming, coming down uh, the pipe. Um, uh, SAF, we're speaking to several companies in Canada and, and, and in the U.S. market, uh, and we're also speaking to the Canadian government about help and supporting uh, SAF's in, in investment. We think that is a critical element going forward. Uh, and so those two components are going to be very, very important. And uh, our, you know, once we announced our, our, our climate goals uh, back in mid-March, um, you know, uh, our team here, we're inundated with a number of phone calls the, from, from par potential partners, and it's opened up, the, uh, opened up our eyes as to what's, what's, potential, what's potentially available, just not in Canada, but around the world. And, uh, and so uh, we've been a leader in this area, and we'll continue to be a leader in this area. And I think there's some very exciting things that will be developed over the next couple of years, both from SAF and from a technology perspective that... Uh, will certainly allow us to get to our net zero uh, by 2050. Excellent. That's, that's great color. Again, congrats, Kathy, and have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you. Our following question is from Elaine Baker from Cohen. Please go ahead. Um, thanks very much, operator. I just have one question with respect to the cargo business. As you think about the future of that, um, when passenger business sort of gets back up to speed, how are you thinking about cargo at that point in time? I know you've got the two 767s that'll be coming in um, from ATSC later this year after the conversion, but is that 
is that going to be a big part of the business going forward? Is there like a new target for that? Could you maybe, you know, put some meat on that bone? Okay, so hi, Elaine. Um, so first, um, if you look at the, you know, sort of the progress here on the cargo front, uh, so from now until year end, of course, we have the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the 777s and the 330s, which, of course, uh, are enabling us to uh, take on all this uh, freighter-only capacity. Then we move to uh, bringing in the 767s, and uh, we should have two of them converted by year-end. And as we ramp, we ramp up uh, passenger demand, of course, we'll have access to uh, you know incremental uh, belly space that's going to come from uh, the restart of some of our uh, some of our, our network. In addition to that. Uh, we also launched the Revo, the uh, e-commerce platform. So, you know, as we progress over time, uh, certainly we're going to continue to explore the opportunities that are open, you know, for us here on the cargo front. But certainly, uh, as we ramp up the 767 freighters, there's no doubt that over the course of, uh, you know, the next few years, you know, cargo will become a more meaningful uh, business for us. Absolutely no doubt. Um, great. Thanks very much, Lucy. And actually, congratulations to everybody, Kathy, on your retirement, and Amos and Mike on your first conference calls as you're in your new respective roles. Thank you, Helene. Have a nice weekend. Thank you. Our following question is from Walter Spratman from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, I echo all the best to everyone as well. Um, uh, you, you know, I'd like to 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 to, to go forward again uh, into the future here and and go under the premise that you know vaccines um, re result in a very significant surge in in travel um, in the early days. And my question is, you know, what can you do in the event that that happens and it out outpaces? Uh, the, the, the capacity that you have in the timeline that you're able to bring it on. And I know there was talk on price, um, and, and I think Lucy said, you, though, that that is you know, market dependent uh, on what, other, what your competitors are doing. So I'm wondering if there's anything else that you could do, and, and in one particular area, could you, for example, and how difficult is it if, if demand is very high, uh, and, and you reconfigure your aircraft either to add more, um, more seats or take out some business class seats and replace with, with premium economy. Just curious as to what else there might be that you could do in the near term uh, to be able to handle if we do get a surge in, in leisure-driven demand, not business demand, but leisure-driven demand. Um, like I said, a nice problem to have. Um, we, we really can't change the LOPA. It, it takes a year, year and a half to, to change the LOPA, basically, uh, of, of a plane. But what we could do, frankly, is, uh, you know, again, we've got planes sitting in the desert. We can bring those back fairly quickly, as I spoke about before. But if that wasn't enough, uh, we could certainly take the 11 planes we've converted to cargo, all cargo, the 330s and the, and the 777s, and convert them back. And you know that would take a little bit of time, but certainly we could do that fairly fairly quickly. Um, but again, Walter, we'll we'll certainly see this coming in the bookings. 
and, and, and like I said earlier, it gives us adequate time to, uh, to bring back the number of planes and certainly the number of people. And uh, you know, given the fact that we've kept our pilots recent and, and, and is, is, a, is an advantage to us uh, as the market comes back. And Mike, if, if indeed the business segment as you see it through your forward bookings and you know, industry studies is not coming back, particularly intra-company travel um, and that kind of thing, you, know, you could though look at, a, even though it's a longer period to, to, to put into place, reconfiguring for the new normal. I mean, is that a fair... Absolutely, Walter. You know, to Lucy's earlier point, we think we're configured fairly nicely for business class right now, but taking out a row of, of the, last, the third row of business class and making that into, you know, four or six economy seats or, or premium economy, we, we can do that fairly quickly as, as well. And we spoke about uh, the premium cabins a bit, you know, earlier when we talked about the little public. Um, we can't forget either that um, we also have a, um, a very good low plus for, for premium economy as yeah. well. So if we were to see, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, longer term recovery, let's say in the international premium markets, we, we're still very well equipped with, you know, the investments we've made from a PY perspective. So from that from that point of view, and even within North America, if you look at the this, this 737s, for example, we have the ideal product for us to be able to grow into this business demand and the ability to uh, to recover pretty quickly, you know, with the, the, uh, the diverse fleet that, that we have. And needless to say, you know, in this environment, we have a multitude of scenarios in terms of what the demand might look like. You know, there's the one, obviously, that we, uh, that, uh, that we uh, you know, load into the schedule, you know, closer to departure, but we are looking at the future and have many scenarios, you know, that we share with uh, with Craig and his team to make sure that if the demand was to, uh, you know, perform a little bit different than what our, our initial assumptions were, that we would be able to react. So, yeah, yeah that's that's why we can say with confidence to to you and others that uh, in virtually every scenario, we we think we've got the flexibility to to ramp up uh, fairly quickly, basically. And, and on that note, with the aircraft that you, the preferred aircraft that you mentioned that you, you have your eye on in that, in that rebounding environment, is there any risk at all here that, you know, your competitors are going to have the same eye on the same aircraft, that prices may be bid up on those either, you know, straight from the OAM or otherwise? And is there anything, I know you're in a, obviously a more, in a financially constrained capacity, but is there anything that you can do through leveraging a relationship with the OEMs right now to kind of ready yourself for that potential opportunity so that you're not left, you know, kind of uh, facing with significantly higher equipment costs or lack of availability of new ones? Quick answer to that is yes. I mean, we, we've got very strong relationships with the OEMs and with many lessors uh, as well. Uh, so, and as you know, our fleet's always been about half leased and half owned, and so we we maintain very strong relationships with uh, with both uh, both uh, OEMs and, and lessors. So, I, you know, Walter, you know, without getting into what we're you know what we're contemplating, certainly we can leverage those relationships. Okay, that's encouraging. My my last. Uh, my last question is just a flat-out chasm question in the new normal. When you're back to 2019 levels, when you have a fleet 
that the new fleet that would bring you there, right? So when you've added aircraft to bring yourself up to 2019 levels, um, how materially lower do you think your chasm will be? Well, compared yeah, like to I said, like compared, I said, Walter, like I said, Walter, in, in my opening comments, we hope to have an investor day towards the end of the year, and we'll provide that we'll provide that visibility at that point in time. Fair enough. Okay. Thank you so much. Good luck, everyone. Thank you. Once again, please press star one at this time for any questions or comments. The following question is from Jimmy Baker from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, you addressed before that you know your demand trend may follow the U.S. president, subject to seasonality, which actually makes me wonder, as it relates to U.S. president, if it extends to how you treat the government credit facilities as well. You know, what we're seeing here is airlines are issuing capital market deals in order to extricate themselves from, you know, the, the, the government handcuffs. Uh, you talked about markets being open before. Is this an option for Air Canada, or, or are the terms you'd get not necessarily better? Also, anything with the government fine print that would preclude you from doing a loyalty deal? You mentioned that the program's unencumbered. Yeah. Uh no, we did we did pledge Aeroplan to the government as part of the, uh, the secured package, but there is no uh, no deterrent for us to take that to market uh, later this year or, okay. or or next year if we so choose. Um, and 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 there's there's no doubt. I mean, like like we said uh, in the press release, uh, Jamie, you know, we the government financing is there for our insurance purposes. Uh, we'd like to eventually replace it with capital markets um, if required. And uh, you know, as Amos I think hinted, we'll we'll be exploring that you know l later this year, basically. Okay, just wanted to confirm. And then a longer-term question, you know, it, it's it's an obvious question these days. You know, how do post-COVID managements behave differently? How do they think about the ATL and minimum liquidity and so forth? Uh, my question actually relates to labor, though, post-COVID. And I realize you have long-term contracts in place. It's why I wanted to ask you, as opposed to somebody with an amendable contract. Do you have any guess as to how labor's priorities may change as a result of the downturn? Just thinking about you know, the balance between work rules, job protection, profit sharing, that sort of thing. Apologies that it's not an Air Canada-specific question, but it's something we've been thinking about internally. No, and, if it, and if it's too early to answer that, that that's fine. You can cut me off. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's an interesting dimension, Jamie, as, as to uh, – you know, we haven't received any feedback yet. You know, we're very close to our labor groups and our labor leaders. Uh, you know, we've obviously got alignment of interest on reopening uh, the economy and re reopening travel here, so we speak to them at, at length. Mm -hmm. uh, and like you said, in our case, we've got longer-term contracts. Uh, but um, but you know, there's no doubt they're, they're going to think through this. Uh, you know, all of us are going to think through this and what, what changes we have to make, you know, obviously to liquidity and, and, and to... Um, to per preservation of jobs and everything, so I suspect uh, you know they'll be they'll be thinking that over the over as as a pandemic uh, as we recover from the pandemic, and and they'll have those conversations with with airline leaders over the next uh, couple of years. Uh, again, they've got fairly strong job protection to begin with, frankly. Uh, yeah. But there's no reason why they they may not ask for more uh, yeah. as, as we go forward. Okay, appreciate your views. Take care, everybody. Okay, thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. We have no further questions for just at this time. I would not like to turn the meeting back over to Ms. Murphy. Thank you all. I think you everyone for joining us on call today. Thank you very much. Good. Thank you.
The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.